it struck me that many people have a, have a total misunderstanding of prayer. Uh, and all over the charismatic world, um, people think they're intercessors. And they don't understand that they're not. And so I just want to go through it with you. And you'll need to make notes in a little while, but I just want to start um, with Ted Haggart, um, who runs a church in Colorado. It's one of these mega churches. He said that he started to think that every single person in the church as a minister, all of them have a ministry. They're all called to ministry. My responsibility was to equip them, equip them to minister to other people. The church became a place where you're empowered for ministry. And people think that there's ministry. And a lot of the kind of early charismatics always wanted to be in ministry. And they were told, find out what your gift is. You can really do things for God. And then there came along John Wimber. And the most important part of his teaching was the democratization of healing to share the ministry with as many people as possible. And I dealt with the gifts of the Spirit and how on Tuesday, you remember, do all have the gift of healing? Are all workers of miracles? And, and if you have a church where everyone does it, you're in trouble. Um, you couldn't do it. But he, they like to believe it. And um, when we look in the modern day, prayer has received unprecedented attention. People believe, you know, all you need do to conquer the world is to pray. And numerous groups have arisen. Um, the World Prayer Center in Colorado. And then they had the CJ2K, Fasting and Prayer 2000. Now, their whole purpose was to fast and pray, and by the year 2000, everyone in the world was going to be reached with the gospel. They have now renamed themselves CJ2K, Fasting and Prayer 2000 and Beyond, for the simple reason that their 10 years of actually reaching everyone through prayer did not work. So they've put an beyond. And prayer evangelism replaces evangelism. Now you can evangelize the world by praying. Uh, you can actually sit at home in your armchair or you can fly over a country in a 747 and if you pray enough, you'll have evangelized the whole country. Very good. Uh, not with speaking to people, you just do it by prayer. The chief weapon in spiritual warfare is prayer. Um, you can command the whole universe, and in fact you can actually command God as well, but uh, they don't like to put it that way. You Binding and loosing the principalities of uh, darkness, and, and all the kind of ideas they've had about prayer all come from anecdotal stories. They take a story and they say, well, this happened in this place, uh, and we were, um, I showed a video, and in one of the videos, it was in Colombia, 
there was a town that was full of drunks and druggies. And so what they did, uh, a pastor decided to get all the other pastors together to pray. So uh, they started doing it, and so someone shot him. And at his funeral, <laughs> the pastors all came together and decided it was terrible to be burying. Uh, there was a town that was full of drunks and druggies. And so what they did, uh, a pastor decided to get all the other pastors together to pray. So uh, they started doing it, and so someone shot him. And at his funeral, <laughs> the pastors all came together and decided it was terrible to be burying their colleague, and they hadn't talked to each other, some of them, for a long time, and um, it concentrated their minds, and they decided they needed some social action to change the atmosphere. And so they started with social work and prayer groups. Now, the prayer groups were fine. Uh, they all got together to pray, but they realized that it wasn't going to have any effect if they didn't do something. So I actually preached the gospel and started encouraging people to work. Now, it was a beautiful, fertile country, so um, they actually got them farming because there was a lot of land there that no one farmed. And it wasn't long before um, they were having three crops a year instead of one. The reason for that is in the climate, you could do it. You can do it in Israel, they do. Uh, they harvest three times a year. If the climate's right, you can do that. And they have beautiful uh, fertile soil, and so they all started working. And the produce went from one lorry uh, a day, taking produce to market, to 40 lorries a day. And that reason was because actually they, they'd stopped drinking themselves to death and actually started working. And money started coming in, and people's uh, lifestyle changed, and the churches began to grow, um, and people wanted to sober up. And carrots, uh, they showed, they, they, when they harvested the carrots, some were as big as an arm, you know, the bottom of the forearm. And they were saying this was God's sign that he healed the land. Nothing to do with that. The land had always been fertile. It was just that no one had ever farmed it because they were all drunk out of their minds. And now they start working. And so prayer was the answer to how you can get good crops and carrots as big as your arm. Now, it wasn't true but if you put it over in such a way on a video, people say, oh, look, that's an answer to prayer. It wasn't an answer to prayer. It was people actually farming. All right? And a lot of the things where they say, well, uh, prayer has done this or prayer has done that, when you actually examine them, doesn't stand up to truth. Um, it's no good if you have a field that's left fallow and you pray and you expect God to give you a crop at the end of the season, you're not going to get one. But if you all get out there and work on a field, plant, uh, you'll get a harvest, won't you? Hello? And a lot of their kind of examples were crazy examples. 
And um, they got people to believe that prayer was the answer to everything. Uh, it isn't. You know, the amazing thing is that Jesus, when he sent us out into the world, and he sent his disciples out, what was the command to do? Anyone remember? To preach, to teach, and to heal. He never said pray. Now, one of the contemporaries teaching on intercessory prayer is Cindy Jacobs. And she is, of course, of the generals of intercession. And her statement is quite interesting. It says, intercessors are those who act as enforcers of God's will on the earth. In other words, you can enforce God's will by interceding. You can, now, I always thought that everyone had free will. I mean, Jesus Christ has paid the price for your sin and my sin and for the sin of the whole world. But it's of no value to people who will not turn from their sin, repent, and receive Christ. They'll go to hell. Not because there wasn't provision for them, but they rejected the provision that God made for them and they rejected Christ. And that is why people go to hell. It's not that Jesus didn't die for them and rise again. It's merely that they refuse salvation. Okay? Is that clear? Now, you cannot be an enforcer. Uh, you can pick on one of your relatives and you can decide to pray for them and pray for them and pray for them. But I want to tell you, you will not change their will. Their will is free, and they must make the choice. You say, well, if I pray enough, God will change their will. Oh, no, he won't. My Bible says, whomsoever will may come. And if you choose not to respond, if you choose not to believe, if you choose not to go God's way, no one can convince you in any way which will violate your free will. Because the moment they do that, you haven't come by faith. You've come by force. And we, the just, shall live by faith. So no one can persuade you. It is very dangerous when you get the idea, and Cindy Jacobs is now one of the enforcers. Um, Ted Haggart of the New Life Church and the World Prayer Center says his intercessors are the church's pr protectors. For the first time in history, we know where we are in terms of the Great Commission. We're going to see it done in the next few years because he's got a World Prayer Center. Therefore, that's it. And then there's Peter Wagner of the World Prayer Center. And he says this, it's amazing. He says, I list intercession as one of the 27 gifts, but I freely admit it is not one, uh, no, but I freely admit it is one that has no direct biblical statement as a gift. I'm certain enough such a gift exists from simple ob observation over the years. 
he's saying, well, I can't find anything in the Bible to support it, but my observation tells me it must exist. Very useful to be led by a man like that. Um, it's re really dangerous. And then you've got um, in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, let's go there, verse 18. And I think it says here in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. With all prayer means with all kinds of prayer. Praying always embraces everything, including the minutest detail. And, and it's amazing how these uh, people on spiritual warfare, you remember we looked at the armor of God. You remember? Well, the one thing that was missing from the Roman armour was the lance, the spear. And so, what they've said, and um, these great uh, biblical scholars have said is, well, the, the spear and the lance was actually missing in Ephesians 6 because Paul forgot it. But actually it was really included because when he said pray always, that was the spear. Now, how they come to that conclusion, only the Lord knows. I don't. But it's absolutely absurd. Um, prayer is not a weapon. When you pray, you don't use a weapon on God. And prayer should be to Him, shouldn't it? In um, prayer, there are six types of prayer for the believer. Uh, you need to note these down. There's a prayer of consecration, a prayer of petition a prayer of authority, that's in urgent need, a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of supplication, and a prayer of intercession. Now there are six types. Five you do, one God does. There's only five types of prayer you can do. And um, because I've got Dr. Hayden here, I'm very fortunate, uh, the prayer of consecration comes from a Greek word which he will pronounce for me. Prosuke, thank you. It's used 127 times in the New Testament. Um, in Ephesians 6.18, that's the word used. And um, what it means... The Greek word means, and this is used 127 times, it means exactly this when it talks of prayer. It means come face to face with God and surrender your life in exchange for His, making consecration an ongoing part of your life and be sure to give Him thanks in advance for moving in your life. In other words, the prayer that we're talking about here praying always is to do with your consecration of yourself to God it is nothing to do with praying for someone else or making intercession I'll read it out again it means to come face to face with God and surrender your life in exchange for his making consecration 
an ongoing part of your life and be sure to give him thanks in advance for moving in your life. It, it, that is prayer, the word prayer. That's what it means. Okay? Have you all got that? Simple. In other words, uh, the idea that you're praying around the world is totally false. You're not. It's a prayer of consecration. You're actually coming to God, and as I said, this is in Ephesians 6.18, you're coming to God, you're dedicating yourself to Him to do His will. You're saying, I'm, there's an ongoing consecration. I want to do Your will on the earth, and I'm giving myself to that purpose alone. That is what the word prayer means. Okay? It does not mean, God bless Daddy, God bless Mummy, God bless John, God bless me, us for no more. That is not prayer. Uh, this particular sense of prayer. All right. Are you all with that? You all understand? Okay. The second type of prayer is the prayer of petition and the word there in the Greek is desis is that right? De desis and it's used 40 times in the New Testament uh, and it's used the one praying is, is consecration with all prayers is Jesus and it's supplication, earnest, sincere, heartfelt petition. You'll find it in Hebrews 5 verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he'd offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, was heard in that he feared. It's the same word, Jesus, there. Uh, it's just a, a request. Now you'll notice it was a request Christ made uh, when he was facing the cross. Uh, you will also find it in James 5.17. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth for the space of three years and six months. That word prayer there was an earnest petition. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 4. Praying. With much entreaty that we should, would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. 1 Thessalonians 3.10 Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. What this type of prayer is, it's a prayer of true humility. It's not a prayer of boast. It's not a prayer of, uh, of fight. It's not a prayer of war. It's a prayer of humility. People recognizing their utter dependence upon God and therefore knowing of their inability to meet their own need and knowing of God's ability to meet it, they pray earnestly. It's when you realize, hey, I can't do anything for myself. Only God can do this. That is the type of petition prayer we're talking of. Okay? You all understand that? Yes, no? Okay, the third type 
is the prayer of authority. That's when you're in urgent need. What? Okay, John, John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you sh will, and it shall be done unto you. It's the word for ask or demand. And it's used 80 times in the New Testament, and it's ateo. All right? It's ateo, isn't it? There you are. I'm just getting him to check up on each one. And it means to ask or demand. The other examples are in Hebrews 4 verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. In 1 John 5 verse 14 and 15. And this is the confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will he heareth us. The word ask there, it, it's the same word. People use it as pray or ask or request or demand, all the same word. And it's when you know, hey, I can't do anything. And the one important thing with this is we must pray according to the indwelling word. We make our request with great boldness because we know it's God's will. There's a lot of people that pray. If you pray and you have to say at the end of the, your prayer, Lord, if it be your will, you shouldn't be praying. You shouldn't make that petition because you should know what God's will is. A Christian knows what God wants and therefore asks according to the indwelling word within him. The fourth type is the prayer of thanksgiving. And that is used 15 times in the New Testament. And it is in Ephesians 1, verse 15 and 16. Wherefore I also, after that I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. In Colossians 1.3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always with you. And 1 Thessalonians 1.2, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. And it means wonderful feelings and good sentiments that freely flow up out of the heart when thinking about your brethren. In other words, it's called love. And, and it's not... Uh, in any way doing anything else than the priestly office where in your heart you lift people up to God. It's not that you're making a request. It's a flow of love and you present the ones you love to God. And it's, um, they get the word Eucharist from it, from the Greek, and it's talking about a presentation with thanksgiving of an individual. All right? That's prayer. That's, that was the, what, fourth? Fourth one. And then the fifth. The 
the prayer of supplication, it's only used five times in the New Testament. And it's translated, enuxis is the, en, en, entuxis is the word in the Greek. Is that right? Well done, it is. Okay, Ephesians 2.1. I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. It's translated intercession there. Other examples, Romans 11.2. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. Watch ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying... And that word is intercession. In 1 Timothy 4, 5, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And what it really means, the word, it doesn't mean intercession as people mean it today. What the word actually means in the Greek is wonderful and intimate love relationship whereby in childlike faith we freely express ourselves and unreservedly enjoy his wonderful presence. And yet it's translated in the Bible, intercession. Uh, so a lot of people, when they look at the scripture and they say, there you are, the word intercession, it doesn't mean what they mean by intercession, it means something totally different. Wonderful and intimate love relationship, whereby in childlike faith, we freely express ourselves and unreservedly enjoy his wonderful presence. And that's intercession. How many people would have defined that as intercession? Huh? I'm talking about what the Bible translates in the English, intercession, that's what it is. And the sixth is the prayer of intercession used once in the Greek, and I'm not even going to try and say it. It's horrible. Even Dr. Hayden will tell you it's horrible. Go on. Can, he can say it because I'm not even going to try. Uh, Hooper and Tugcano. It's, uh, in fact, it's, it's uh, similar to another one that we had, but it has the Hooper on the front of it. Hooper and to Hano. And it's um, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. It is the only usage... Uh, uh, this Greek word and it's used as intercession and it's only referred to of the Holy Spirit it's never referred to of any individual only the Holy Spirit ever makes intercession for us and it's with groanings that cannot be uttered now I meet a lot of people that say oh I just felt I, you know I felt a deep cry inside but look if you can cry then it isn't a groaning that can't be uttered. And it's not you, it's the Holy Spirit. It's not something you feel. I've heard people say, oh, they were interceding and they felt like they were giving birth. Well, I find that rather repulsive when it's a man claiming it. 
This is of the Holy Spirit, and it's only spoken of the Holy Spirit. So prayer and intercession, when you come to the Bible, means something totally different in English today and in religious circles than it means in Scripture. And when you start looking at it, you realize that a lot of people have grown up with beliefs and traditions, and therefore they've been told, oh, you've got to pray, you've really got to intercede, you've got to... And hey, the word intercession, can you imagine? When you explain to them, just a minute, it means wonderful and intimate love relationship, whereby in childlike faith we freely express ourselves and unreservedly enjoy his wonderful presence. And you go to one of these intercession meetings and everyone's crying and weeping and moaning and wailing and you think, funny way to express love. Okay? Now, I didn't write it. I just happen to believe it. Uh, I'm one of these people that if that's what the word means, then I believe it. In, in the original Greek text, okay? Hello. So, in other words, first of all, a prayer will be out of an intimate relationship with God. I can only pray always, and it will be out of a love relationship with God. And if I pray for someone, it will be out of a real desire that they be blessed because there's an upsurge of love in your heart to God, and you lift him up as a priest would lift up the heave offering or a wave offering before God. It's a way of expressing your concern for an individual, but it is not in any way a sorrowful thing. It's a joyful thing, and it's always an expression with thanksgiving, and it's always an expression with joy, and it's always from a heart of love and compassion. That is the only type of prayer that is biblical. Boom. So, well, what about Jesus when he, he cried out, with groaning. No, he cried for one reason only, that he faced the idea of Calvary, the realization of taking your sin and my sin into his own body on the tree, and he asked Father if it were possible for this cup to pass from him. You remember? And in Hebrews it records it, and it says, with strong crying, but we never are in that situation. You will never be in a situation where you're going to bear, bear the sin of another. You're never going to be in a situation where the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has not cleansed you from all sin when you repent. You'll never be in a situation where the sin factor needs to be embraced. Only Christ did that. Okay? Is that plain? So all the kind of prayer meetings where they get together and they're praying around the world and they're interceding for this and they're interceding for that has no basis in Scripture. In fact, it's amazing when you look in Scripture to find that Jesus, when he went uh, and he communed with the Father, it was an intimate love relationship with the Father it wasn't somehow um, 
some great groaning and some great uh, travail. There was only one time. And that was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it lasted less than one hour. And in fact, when he came to his disciples, he said, couldn't you watch one hour? He said, it's enough. And it's enough. Never try and pray more than that. I hear people, they want to pray all night. And then they can't get up in the morning to go to work because they're exhausted. They go to bed instead. Well, why didn't you go to bed at the proper time and get up in the morning? And what were you praying about? I've, I've seen these all-night prayer meetings. You go to them and three-quarters of the people are sleeping. Uh, they're trying to keep awake. Or they've gone to bed in the afternoon and then they step. It, it, it is actually totally unbiblical. But they feel spiritual. Where have you been? I went to an all-night prayer meeting. Um, you meet them about four o'clock the next afternoon when they've just got out of bed. Okay? You're with me so far. And fasting is even worse. Well, we looked at it. It's not even a Christian thing. It's a heathen thing. Uh, if you want to fast, you can lose weight. Uh, but Jesus said, my disciples don't. And we don't. When the bridegroom's with us, we don't fast. We eat. We rejoice. And the whole of a Christian life is one of thanksgiving. Do you know my Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength? Uh, the whole of our life is one of thanksgiving, one of joy. I never sit down and start going through the church list trying to pray for each person. Now, if God brings you to my mind... I'll either rebuke the devil <laughs> with some of you or <laughs> give thanks to God. That's it. Uh, but the idea that somehow I can change your will by making a petition to God or change your mind... I know there are people that are living wrong. I know there are individuals that are actually transgressing. I know there are people who are devious beyond belief. You don't have to be a great prophet to know that. You know. And those type of people, you won't change them by moaning to God about it. The only way anyone's going to be changed is when you take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But even when you do that, the person has a free will to make a choice of whether they're going to amend their lifestyles or carry on in the same way. Nothing but nothing is going to make them change. And the idea and notion that somehow we have a great weapon that can somehow cause people to change is, by prayer is totally false. You can't. They have free will. Everyone has free will. You can explain to someone the gospel, you can challenge them, you can point out the error of their ways, but if they don't want to change, they're not going to change. You can tell someone they're wrong, 
And I'll tell you this, they'll still do what they want to do. Because their will will govern them. No matter what you say, no matter how much you show them, they will go their own way unless they submit their heart to God and choose to go His. And there's nothing you can do about it. God gave man free will. And God will never take it away. That is it. And if you're one of these people that believes that no, all you have to do is get hold of God and he'll do it. He won't. Sorry. Because the moment God violates a person's free will, he's violated what he said in the earth. And he won't do it. He gives everyone an opportunity, but in the end it's your opportunity. I cannot go along with any notion that God will compel a man to change or a woman to change. I, I've looked at it right through Scripture and it just isn't there. In the end, you are what you want to be. You'll do what you want to do. Nothing ever will change. If, if God doesn't change it by a miraculous conversion, which he won't do until you set your will and make your choice, Nothing will ever happen. Now the strange thing is, you can set your will and make your choice and nothing will happen. Because God tries the reins of the heart and what you say outwardly might not be what you really want inwardly. And in the end you'll get the desire of your heart. Because that's the way man is. And there's no way around it. Now the idea you can evangelize just by praying doesn't have any scriptural credence at all. The idea you can change a person by praying has no validity in scripture. It's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. And when you preach the gospel, then a person has opportunity to respond or reject. And God alone can light a person and give them that opportunity, but there's no way you can compel a person to change. And there's no way you can do anything about it. So Paul talks about the foolishness of preaching. Uh, confrontational preaching is what I believe in. I believe in confronting people. But in the end I know that your will is what's going to govern it. And in the end I know, you, you know, if you're going to choose the wrong way, you're going to choose the wrong way. And no one's ever going to overcome your will. No one's ever going to make you do what's right. It just don't happen. To be in a society, you've got to learn that other people have rights as much as you. And you've got to learn that there's right ways of behaving and wrong ways of behaving. And the trouble is, if you get an adult who's grown up with no restraints, hey, his will will go anyway. And even when they become Christians, it takes a tremendous work of the Holy Ghost and time before they'll realize that their will must be subjugated to another's. Now, no prayer is going to change that. Okay? Will is everything. 
If a child learns to obey early on in life, when the child meets Jesus Christ, it's easy to respond. However, there's a different way of doing it. It must be out of love. The worst kind of discipline you can ever have is a loveless discipline. Uh, I see a lot of loveless people, loveless parents. They don't love their children. Oh, they'd say they did. But love has to be expressed. Love has to be felt. Love has to be real. Uh, and love is very important. Uh, and when it comes to prayer and petition, love is the most important ingredient. That's why Paul, when he writes 1 Corinthians uh, 13, he talks of without God love, it's nothing. Uh, you can do all the right things, but without that ingredient of the power of God's love, it won't work. And it's tragic when you see people who could really change, could go, but they have never understood love. And that is the thing that's missing. And that is why the Church of Jesus Christ is there to teach people how to love. And love is not some sloppy sentimental thing. It's firm, it's real, it's true. John Calvin, when he wrote on intercessory prayer, he says this, The sophists are guilty of the merest trifling when they allege that Christ is the mediator of redemption, but the believers are the mediators of intercession. As if Christ had only performed a temporary mediation and left an in, in eternal and imperishable mediation to his servants. Let me read it again. The sophists are guilty of the merest trifling when they allege that Christ is the mediator of redemption, but that believers are the mediators of intercession, as if Christ had only performed a temporary mediation and left an internal and imperishable mediation to his servants. In other words, uh, a lot of Christians say today, oh yeah, Jesus paid the price, but in order for people to get saved, it's our intercession that does it. And in his day, that's exactly what they were saying. And they came against it, did the reformers. And the only time a revival happened in history through prayer, so-called, and it didn't last, was the layman's prayer revival of 1857 to 59, and it was the first time that prayer meetings, rather than preaching, became the means of spreading a revival. Um, and prayer meetings, as in the tradition of churches, were unknown prior to this time. Before 1857, they didn't know what a prayer meeting was. It was preaching. It was teaching. If you went to a Puritan church, they didn't have prayer meetings. They taught the Word of God. It's only from 1857 on that you have this era that came from America, of course, uh, where they instituted prayer meetings and they believed revival could come through prayer. Revival can only come through preaching the Word of God. It's the only method because faith can only come by the Word of God. 
can't come through prayer. All right? I'll go on to... Um, William Penn on prayer. For nothing reaches the heart but what is from the heart, or pierces the conscience but what comes from a living conscience. And then Dr. Guthrie <coughs> on prayer says this, man can as well live physically without breathing as spiritually without praying. And Martin Lloyd-Jones on prayer said, it's a living relationship to God and receiving strength and power from Him. A true prayer is a love relationship with Christ and with God the Father. It's nothing to do with groanings and moanings. It's a way of life. It's a God consciousness all the time. Every moment of every day, I'm conscious of God. Every moment of every day, His love inspires. Every moment of every day, there's a realization that God loves me and I respond to that love. That is the only prayer that's biblical. Sorry about that. And all the other stuff is a waste of time. The one thing I, I've never done in this church, and I won't institute it, is prayer meetings. You notice we come here, we preach. I'll pray for the sick, lay hands on the sick, and they'll recover, but I'm not going to get into uh, religious fanaticism and think that somehow we're going to alter people by anything other than pointing them to the redemption in Jesus Christ that was total, complete, and absolutely sufficient for every single individual. The only thing in your life you need is the redemption of Christ. There's healing in the redemption. There is uh, forgiveness in the redemption. There is wholeness in the redemption. In fact, Christ has done everything. And prayer will not add to it. It will not help it. Your will is the only thing that stands between you and everything God has and has provided for you. And no prayer is going to change it. Your response alone is the only thing that counts. Okay? Is that plain? When I first got married 30 years ago, and so when we got married, she was surprised to find that I was not one of those that had a quiet time, that had a, a, a you know, uh, a time for doing this, a time for doing that, a time for praying this. And I remember when I got married, there was a dear man, a vicar, and one of the things he said to us, you know, he said, couples that pray together stay together. And after he'd said that, I said to my wife, I am never, ever going to get down and have you pray at me and me pray at you. That is not on. If you want to pray, you pray. I pray, and what I pray is my business. And what you pray is your business. An intimate love relationship with God is very personal, isn't it? My wife was shocked at that. She said, but 
you know, well, well, I've been taught this and that. But she learned very quickly that actually God speaks to me very simply as I'm getting on with my daily living, as I'm moving around. As I can pray anywhere, and I do. I'm in communion with God anywhere. And, and I think that what we've done is you drive people away from a church when you try and impose upon them something that God never instituted. Jesus said, when you pray, go into your closet, shut the door, shut people out, and it's a personal thing. You say, well, people need to be... When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, don't forget it was old covenant. They weren't filled with the Holy Ghost and they weren't born again, but they wanted to know the principle of prayer and that's why we got the Lord's Prayer. And it makes it very plain what the principle is. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and there's only a few people going to do it and that's us. And the whole thing was very simple. But you'll notice that he never took any disciple up the mountain where he prayed with them, and when there was a garden of Gethsemane, he left them and went on his own. Why didn't he take the disciples if he wanted to keep them awake and get them all to pray together? Because that's not the way he lived. And if he didn't live that way, I'm not going to live that way. And I'm not going to the garden of Gethsemane. I'm happy. Glory to God. He paid the price for my sins. He's risen. He's alive. Amen? And I'm happy. I, I can rejoice in what he did for me. And I don't come into that place where I've got to beg and moan because he's done it all. I believe him. And then it's easy. Prayer is the most wonderful thing. Love relationship. And if you don't love God, get saved because you're not saved and if you don't know what I'm talking about it's because you're not born again you need salvation when God comes it's obvious that's it that's simple isn't it huh is that easy is that helpful now if you want to know how to pronounce the Greek words ask Dr. Hayden Let's all stand and pray. No, let's all stand. <laughs> let's all stand. Lift up your hands to heaven. Hey, what we do is in love, we care for these people who are sick, and we lift them up to Jesus. Father, I just pray for all these dear ones. Lord, in your grace and your mercy and love, just reach out and touch them. Lord, break every chain, curse every disease, and heal them, we pray. In Jesus' precious name. Amen? Amen.